Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. It's Monday, November 2nd, 2020. This is Chris Johnson, Lifeline's National Director of Church Partnerships, and today we are continuing our study in the book of Ezekiel. Today we're going to be looking at Ezekiel chapter number 43, and for the last couple of weeks we've been looking at the the vision that Ezekiel had uh, of this temple. this, this, uh, really been hearing about the precise measurements of it, the detail uh, of this temple. We don't really know all the details around it. It's not clear what is exactly being described here. Um, Ezekiel isn't being told to build this temple. Um, it's not that like he's being asked to do that, but it's, it's more, it seems to be something that he is observing and something that he is, uh, looking at as he is, is, is taking note of the, the measurements and the detail, uh, all the ornate, uh, parts of this, this beautiful temple. And so there are some that believe that this is purely symbolic in nature uh, and that it's speaking really just more to that preciseness of God and the uh, just the perfection of God. There are some that would believe that this is a description of the temple that God will provide in his millennial kingdom uh, that will that will come in the future and, and that, that when God uh, sets up his kingdom to rule and reign, that this is a description of that temple that will be there. Um, but really, wherever you kind of land and on that, uh, in this description, we're really reminded of, of several things about God. We're reminded over and over again as Ezekiel is giving this description of God's holiness. Uh, we're reminded of his perfection, his attention to detail, the importance of that. Uh, and But ultimately, his desire to dwell with his people, uh, his desire to reside amongst his people uh, and to be worshipped by them, to enjoy fellowship together with his people. In just a moment, we're going to read through chapter 43 here. And as we read through this chapter, I want you to take note of a few things and kind of watch for a few, for a couple of things. There's a couple, two different uh, primary parts of this chapter. Uh, First of all, we know, again, Ezekiel has beautifully described the temple in chapters 40 through 42. Uh, we're now going to see the presence and the glory of God entering into uh, this temple. We're going to see the effect that this has both on Ezekiel as well as ultimately on God's people. Uh, but then we're going to see in the last half of the chapter about this altar that is built within this temple, this altar that is there uh, for the sacrifice. And uh, we know that even throughout Scripture, all the way back in the very beginning, the altar has always been a place uh, of sacrifice. And it's always been that sacrifice has always pointed to uh, the one that would come that would be the ultimate sacrifice, that would provide uh, the the ultimate sacrifice that would be needed, that being that Messiah, Jesus Christ. And and whether this uh, description of this altar this temple is uh, something that was that was happening there or symbolic. It would be pointing again to that ultimate sacrifice. If it is a uh, temple and sacrifice that will be happening in the future, then it will be pointing back to uh, Jesus Christ because we know that that is the centrality of all of Scripture. Everything, all these stories, all this wrapped together is pointing to uh, the fact that we are lost and we need a Savior and that Jesus is that Savior. And that, that through the, the, the work of Christ on the cross, Him giving His life, shedding His blood, it is through uh, 
that work that he has done, his ultimate resurrection, is through that work that we have forgiveness of our sin. And it's through that work that we are able to enter into a personal relationship uh, with our Heavenly Father. So let's read through the chapter and just kind of be listening for these things and note these things as we read through the chapter. And then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, God's dwelling amongst us. Chapter 43 of Ezekiel. Then he led me to the gate, the gate facing east. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the east. And the sound of his coming was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. And the vision I saw was just like the vision that I had seen when he came to destroy the city, and just like the vision that I had seen by the Cherbrook Canal. And I fell on my face. As the glory of the Lord entered the temple by the gate facing east, the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. While the man was standing beside me, I heard one speaking to me out of the temple. And he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the people of Israel forever. And the house of Israel shall no more defile my holy name, neither they nor their kings, by their whoring and by the dead bodies of their kings at their high places, by setting their threshold by my threshold and their doorpost beside my doorpost, with only a wall between me and them. They have defiled my holy name by their abominations that they have committed, so I have consumed them in my anger. Now, Let them put away their whoring and the dead bodies of their kings far from me, and I will dwell in their midst forever. As for you, son of man, describe to the house of Israel the temple. And he's going to give his purpose and reason for describing this and for this description that's being been given. He says, describe to the house of Israel the temple that they may be ashamed of their iniquities and they shall measure the plan. And if they are ashamed of all that they have done, make known to them the design of the temple, its arrangement, its exits, and its entrances, that is, its whole design, and make known to them as well all its statutes and its whole design and all its laws, and write it down in their sight, so that they may observe all its laws and all its statutes and carry them out. This is the law of the temple. The whole territory on the top of the mountain all around shall be most holy. Behold, this is the law of the temple. These are the measurements of the altar by cubits, the cubit being a cubit and a handbreadth. Its base shall be one cubit high and one cubit broad, with a rim of one span around its edge. And this shall be the height of the altar, from the base on the ground to the lower ledge, two cubits with a breadth of one cubit, and from the smaller ledge to the larger ledge, four cubits with a breadth of one cubit, and the and the altar hearth four cubits, and from the altar hearth projecting upward four horns. The altar hearth shall be a square, twelve cubits long by twelve broad. The ledge also shall be a square, fourteen cubits long by fourteen broad, with a rim around it half a cubit broad, and its base one cubit all around. The steps of the altar shall face east. And he said to me, Son of man, thus says the Lord God, These are the ordinances for the altar. On the day when it is erected for for offering burnt offerings upon it and for throwing blood against it, you shall give to the Levitical priest of the family of Zodok, who draw near to me to minister to me, declares the Lord, a bull from the herd for a sin offering. And you shall take some of its blood and put it on the four horns of the altar and on the four corners of the ledge and upon the rim all around. Thus you shall purify the altar and make atonement for it. You shall also take the bull of the sin offering, and it shall be burned in the appointed place belonging to the temple outside the sacred area. 
And on the second day, you shall offer a male goat without blemish for a sin offering. And the altar shall be purified as it was purified with the bull. When you have finished purifying it, you shall offer a bull from the herd without blemish and a ram from the flock without blemish. You shall present them before the Lord and the priest shall sprinkle salt on them and offer them up as a burnt offering to the Lord. For seven days, you shall provide daily a male goat for a sin offering. Also a bull from the herd and a ram from the flock without blemish shall be provided. Seven days shall they make atonement for the altar and cleanse it and so consecrate it. And when they have completed these days, then from the eighth day onward, the priest shall offer on the altar your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, and I will accept you, declares the Lord. Beautiful picture, again, just of the preciseness of uh, not only the temple, but also the altar that is being built. Uh, the reminder of the purpose behind uh, this description, again, reminding of uh, the people of their sins and, and what they are missing in this opportunity to, uh, to fellowship and to, to enjoy God's presence, to enjoy uh, God's dwelling among them and being with them. And, uh, and just the, the reminder to walk in holiness, to walk in truth. Uh, and really the, the cost of our sin, right? The cost of our sin is separation from God. And that's exactly what it, what had happened here to the children of Israel because of their sin, because they had defiled the true temple, because they had uh, turned their backs on worshiping the, the one true God. Uh, they were in this season, in this time of being separated from his presence and uh, no longer was he dwelling amongst them. And they were uh, in this place of really despair and hopelessness, not hearing from God. And, and so all of this is a reminder just of God's holiness and the importance of walking in that holiness and, and following after him. Uh, you know, one of the, from the very beginning, one of the primary reasons that God created man was for fellowship. Uh, he desired to, to enter into relationship with us and fellowship with us. And throughout God's word and throughout history, we see uh, the different kind of phases of ways that God fellowshiped with his people. Uh, in the beginning, of course, he dwelt with Adam and Eve there in the garden. And, and there no special place was necessary, right? It says that he walked with them in the, in the garden in the cool of the day. And uh, just there was that sweet intimacy that, that they enjoyed uh, being able to just be in his presence and he uh, in their presence and together with them. But of course, we know uh, that sin messed up everything, right? Uh, the time came where because of their sin, they, they, they knew that they, that, that sin could not be in the presence of a holy God. And so they, uh, even with their limited understanding, hid themselves from God and tried to cover themselves and tried to hide from God. Uh, but that, that, that fellowship and that sweet communion, that intimacy was now broken because of sin. As we continue on seeing God deal with his people, we, we next see that for a season, uh, God met with his people in special places. And, and typically that was around an altar. Uh, we would see when certain things would happen is they would walk in obedience. They would build an altar and God would meet them there and they would uh, worship God in that place. And, and that word worship meaning to, to bow down. They would bow down before him and uh, recognize his worth and his value and his holiness. And they would offer uh, these sacrifices on those altars as a time of thanksgiving and praise. And, and the, uh, so there was the sense of God meeting them at the altar at that place of surrender. 
And then we see that, that, that God uh, instructed his people to build kind of a mobile dwelling place, that mobile tabernacle uh, that they would carry with them on their journey through the wilderness. Uh, and ultimately, for many years, this would be the place where God's glory would reside there in that Holy of Holies, where God would uh, would meet his people there and the sacrifices would be made. And uh, it was a place of, of God's presence. And so it was a cherished place. Again, very specific, very detailed uh, descriptions on what that tabernacle looked like and the different parts of that tabernacle. And even as they moved throughout their journey as a, as a traveling people, they would transport this tabernacle and rebuild it over and over again. And for many, many years, even as they started through the, through, into this time of, of the kings, they still, uh, God's presence would primarily rest there at the tabernacle until ultimately the temple would be built in Solomon's day. Uh, and this temple, of course, was a, a beautiful structure, yes, but it would be the, the central location for worship, uh, for sacrifice, and, and ultimately for meeting with God. It was the place where, again, it was said that, that God's glory resided there. And they would make these journeys, and even if they lived away in other parts of the land, they would make these journeys, these trips, and they would come uh, to the temple to worship, and they would go to that place where the glory of God resided, and that's where they would go, and it would be that central place uh, for, for worship, for uh, for fellowship, for sacrifice, for all of their, really the center of uh, their lives as God people, God's people. But again, as we, we see that because of sin and because of wickedness, uh, the wickedness of God's people, we see as we, we are told here throughout Ezekiel that, uh, that God abandoned that temple and that his people were taken into exile and ultimately that temple was destroyed. And so during this season, there was no place for the sacrifices to be made. There was no place for them to come and gather for worship. Uh, we know that uh, that they would would come back to that land at a certain point, but but it's during this this time that it was it was completely hopeless, and and even as in later times they kind of go and went through this back and forth history of coming back into the land and re- trying to rebuild the temple, but then again the temple was destroyed, and and ultimately even to this day the the. The, the Jewish people to this day, because they don't accept Jesus as their Messiah, they still are longing for a place where they can offer their sacrifices and where they can worship God. That's why if you travel to Israel today and you go and visit the Western Wall, which I highly recommend if you ever have the opportunity to do it, uh, the reason they go and they offer their prayers there at the Western Wall is because that is the closest place that they feel that they can get to that original Holy of Holies place in that original temple. And, and so they're, they're just, there's just in this picture of it, there's this longing of, and they so desperately want to be back to God's presence. But again, because of sin and because of destruction, because of the rejection of Christ, they're, they're still longing even to this day for, uh, that, that void to be filled and that place for this to happen. And, and so they're, uh, it's during this time that they really, they, they, they're in that place of hopelessness and Ezekiel in his prophecies and in his speaking is, I believe, trying to, uh, here as he's concluding getting to the end of the book here, he's giving them the sense of hope that you may not understand now what's going on and you, because of your sin, are not experiencing God's presence now. But here's the, the, the fact is you are going to enjoy that presence again. There's going to be a time where God is going to, to come and dwell among his people again. And, and as I said, while they would return, they would rebuild the temple. The next, really the next place that we see God's glory and God's presence is, is not actually in a place, but it's in a person. And that person is Jesus. Uh, John tells us that, that God came down and, and that he dwelt among us and his glory was seen. Uh, this, this idea that he now has tabernacled among his people, among us. John 1, 14. 
says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The description we gave of, of that, uh, the temple that Ezekiel talked about, when we go further back and we see other, uh, when the temple was first erected in Solomon's time, one of the primary characteristics is they would celebrate the time that the glory of, of God would rest on that place. And we're told in John there, the verse we just read, that when when God put on flesh and came to us in the person of Jesus, in that person of Jesus, we have seen God's glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so once Jesus came into this world, now the Messiah has come, the promised one has come, and now God's glory dwells among his people. Uh, and of course, um, we, we hear even the words of Jesus as he spoke and he said, you're going you're gonna to do everything you can to destroy this temple. And of course, they thought he was talking about the physical structure of the temple, but he was talking about himself. You're going to kill this temple, destroy this temple, but I'm going to raise it up again in three days. And they marveled at how can this temple be built because they just totally missed what he was saying. But he was speaking of himself as the, uh, as, as the, 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 the glory of God, the representation of the glory of God dwelling among his people. We know that uh, Jesus was crucified and Jesus uh, did give his life, but ultimately he was raised from uh, that death, but then he ascended into heaven. And when he ascended into heaven, he left us this promise that, uh, that God would pour out his spirit upon us. And so we've had this progression. God was with his people in a, in a pure, holy place in the garden. Sin broke that fellowship. He dwelled with his people in times of altars and sacrifice and in special occasions. He then dwelt in the tabernacle. He Then his glory dwelt in the temple. Uh, then his glory came and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus. But now Jesus is gone. And now he says, you know what? I'm not going to leave you alone. And no longer because the sacrifice has been completely satisfied. No longer do you have to offer the sacrifices of, of animals, goats and lambs and, and bulls. Now the sacrifice has been completed because it is finished in Christ. And so now God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit. And so now it's not just that God is dwelling with his people, but now God is dwelling in his people. God is dwelling in his people, in all of those that would place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, would enter into that personal relationship with our Father. We now are the dwelling place of the Most High God. Could you imagine explaining that to the people in Ezekiel's day? Hey, you're, you're, you're sad that you can't go to your temple and you're sad that you can't worship, but there's coming a time where God's going to not only come and dwell among us, he's going to dwell within us. And we, our body, ourselves, we are going to be his dwelling place. We are going to be his temple. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22. In him, you also all being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. What admonition that is. What an awesome thing that I think we so often take for granted. Man, we just so take the presence of God for granted in our lives. We live our lives day in, day out so often with little to absolutely no regard, understanding, awareness of the fact that God is with us. Not only is he with us, God is in us. There is no place that we can go to be apart from his holy presence. It's a convicting thought, right? It, it, it's, a, it's a comforting thought for sure. But man, it's also a convicting thought. That everywhere we go, he is with us. He is in us. 
that's why Paul just admonishes us over and over again to walk in holiness and to walk in truth. Finally, there will come a time once Christ returns and all things, all these end time things that we're kind of think we know about, but really aren't totally sure of how they're all going to fall into place. But once all of these things are accomplished and we enter into that eternal state together with our Father, God will provide a new heaven. He'll provide a new earth. And the Bible tells us that he will dwell forever together with us. Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Again, not necessary to go to a place. Not necessary to to look anywhere uh, because we will be together completely forever in the presence of God. What an incredible thought. Something our minds can't even really fully wrap around and fully fathom. Again, Ezekiel's audience, they, they could not have fathomed this reality. But this is what we are longing for. This is what we're looking forward to when we will see him face to face, when we will be uh, eternally in his presence forevermore. Uh, what, a, what a great thought and what an exciting time uh, that that will be and what a, what a thing that we should constantly keep before us. And, and this is why we should long for the return of Christ. This is why we should look expectantly uh, and eminently for his uh, soon return so that all these things can be accomplished. And uh, man, this is really what we're living for. We're living for eternity. This time that we have here on this earth is such a, a small blip on the radar screen of, of our lives, of eternity. And uh, man, if we're living for now, we are missing the whole uh, understanding and idea of what a relationship with Christ is all about. It's not for now, it's for forever. And, and everything we're doing now is preparing us for forever and getting us ready for that time to expect uh, where we will be together with him and he will be our God and we will be his people. But as we're thinking about this idea of, of God's dwelling place, as we're recognizing that God's indwelling presence is within us, what do we need to remember that will affect how we live for him as we look toward eternity? As we find ourselves in this place of our, our hope being future, just like the children of Israel, in this place of looking forward in hope, uh, again, trusting that hope is an expectancy, an expectant, a constant expectancy of knowing that it's going to happen. But as we today live with the dwelling presence of God, with a hope of our future, how should that affect us? And what should that, what does that mean to us today? I'm going to give you four practical things to conclude uh, our time with uh, as, we, as we look at this. Number one, God's dwelling with us has nothing to do with us, but everything to do with him. God's dwelling with us has nothing to do with us, but everything to do with him. You see, he is the one from the very beginning, and he is the one that continues. He is the one that initiates this relationship. We have absolutely nothing to offer him. There is no way that we would ever, could ever make it happen. We are completely, when we uh, were born into this world, we were born dead in our sin and our trespasses, completely separated from a righteous, holy God. And, and we didn't enjoy his presence. We didn't know. We were, we were apart from him. But he stepped into our brokenness. He came to us and he reached down and drew himself, drew us to himself. And he has initiated this idea of fellowship with us. 
And it's not because of anything we have to offer, anything that we have done, but it is all because he is a good God and because he loves us and longs to fellowship with us. God's dwelling with us has nothing to do with us, but everything to do with him. Number two, God's dwelling with us reminds us of his holiness and of our unworthiness. God's dwelling with us reminds us of his holiness and our unworthiness. Every time throughout scripture, when we see God on the scene, we see his glory and his holiness. Again, you go back to the early days of the tabernacle when it was built, it would, uh, when, when, when God would come down and would dwell and would, and would accept that sacrifice, it was said that, uh, that, his, that his glory could be sensed and, and felt. When, when the temple was built and they celebrated the dedication of the temple, the glory of God filled that temple. Um, when Isaiah uh, spoke of, uh, he had his vision after King Uriah's death, when he had his, his vision, uh, it was the, the glory of God was evident and clear. Ezekiel, as he is telling about this temple being constructed, uh, the ultimate climax of that is that the glory of God, the presence of God enters into this place. And so over and over again, John 1, we saw when, when God came in the person of Jesus, God's glory was shown in this perfect righteous one that would live this righteous sinless life. And so every time we think about the presence of God, our minds immediately go to God's holiness, to his purity, to his righteousness. But what happens is every time that we see God in his holiness and in his righteousness, we are reminded that we are not him. We are reminded that we have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God, as Romans tells us, as Paul tells us in Romans. We fall short of God's glory. We are unworthy of the presence of God. We do not deserve God fellowshipping with us. We do not deserve God dwelling uh, with us, or especially we don't deserve God dwelling in us. When we see him for who he is, we are reminded of who we are. It's what happened with Ezekiel here in Ezekiel 40. He says, as the glory of God filled this place, they, they were reminded. Ezekiel himself was reminded of his own unworthiness, but he was quickly reminded of the sins of his people and the, the fact that they had run from God. They had hoard themselves out uh, from God. They had sinned against him. They had uh, violated his laws. When Isaiah saw God on his throne and the, the angels crying, holy, 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 what does he immediately say? He says, I'm not worthy for I am uh, un." clean and I dwell amongst the people that are unclean. And so every time we see God's holiness, we see that, that we in ourselves are not worthy to be in his presence. So God's dwelling with us reminds us of his holiness and our unworthiness. But that's not the end. Number three, God's dwelling with us reminds us that he paid the price to make us worthy. God's dwelling with us reminds us that he has paid the price to make us worthy. In and of ourselves, folks, we are not worthy. But Christ saw us at our place of despair. He saw us dead, hopeless, left to ourselves with no chance whatsoever. And he said, you know what? I'm going to come and I'm going to dwell among you. And ultimately, I'm going to make you worthy. I'm going, to, I'm going to, through the sacrifice of Jesus, I'm going to provide everything necessary so that as you accept the sacrifice that, that God has provided for you, Christ will make you worthy. The righteousness of Christ will be upon you. He paid that price. Because of the work of Christ, we are now, those who have placed our faith and trust in him, we are now justified. We are made just as if we had never sinned. 
We, in his eyes, he sees us today, not as sinners, but he sees us as sons. He sees us as worthy of his presence. Can you wrap your mind around that today? In our, in our still dealing with our sinful nature, God doesn't see us as sinners. He now sees us as saints. He sees us as his sons, those for whom he gave his very life, for those for whom he shed his blood, for those for whom he gave his one be, only begotten son. He sees us today, not under our, the curse of our sin, but he sees us justified. He sees us righteous. And because of Jesus Christ, he sees us worthy of his presence. He can't dwell where sin dwells. He can't be uh, in the same place as sin. And that's why it is imperative that we be made righteous through Christ. That's why we have to accept the finished work of Christ, place our trust in him. And when we do, we are made righteous in Christ. And so God now sees us as sons and he sees us as worthy of one to dwell amongst, dwell within. What an awesome thought today. God's dwelling with us reminds us that he paid the price to make us worthy. And then finally, we see that God's dwelling with us spurs us on to walk in his holiness. God's dwelling with us spurs us on to walk in his holiness. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. As Ezekiel explained to the people the holiness of God and the glory of God, his motivation for even describing this temple and the, and the, and the sacrifices and the altar and all these things, his desire, he said very clearly that his motivation would be that the children of Israel would walk in holiness, would walk in truth, that they would turn their backs on their sinful ways, that they would deny their flesh and instead walk in the holiness of God. Paul gives the same admonition to us today in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6. He says, recognize that God dwells within you. Your body, you are the temple of God, and God has chosen to dwell within you. And don't let that discourage you, but instead, don't let it beat you down and shame you, but instead, let it spur you on to glorify God in your body. That's why it is important. That's why it's necessary that, that, that while we, we, we rest in our security in Christ, we know that our relationship with him is not dependent on if we slip and if we fall and if we make a mistake. But the fact is those who are in Christ, their life will be moving toward holiness. Their lives, our lives will be moving toward, uh, toward, toward that, that time of completeness, that time where, where God ultimately, uh, will, will make us complete and whole in Him. This is that process of sanctification. And brothers and sisters, it is imperative that as we recognize God's presence within us, that we live with an awareness of this truth. That we live with an understanding of the magnitude uh, of this fact that God has chosen to dwell among us. And may that understanding and may that realization of this truth, may that spur us on in every way to walk in the holiness of God, to walk in the purity of God. May we be reminded today and may we be so very grateful today for the glory of God and the fact that it dwells among us, that he dwells within us. And may our lives, as we live this life, as we long for his return and wait for the time that he will set everything right and he will bring us to that place of completion, may our lives glorify him in all that we say and all that we do.
Thanks so much for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. This week, our prayer focus is on the country of Costa Rica. I want to encourage you to be praying for the country and the central authority there as they uh, pray that God would provide wisdom and encouragement for them as they evaluate children and families and, and that uh, folks would advocate for better practices there, processes there, but specifically we want to pray for our contacts there and lift them up before the Lord as they do a job oftentimes with little, very little support. We also want to pray for local churches and missionaries in Costa Rica uh, that are partnering together with us through Unadopted. Uh, we have a, there's a, there's a group home there that uh, cares for children that assist us with our adoptions and uh, we support them through Unadopted Ministries. There are also our missionaries there that uh, are leading a ministry to pregnant teens. We want to lift them up uh, and for other organizations. Pray also for our Lifeline Church Partnerships team uh, as they work together with the local church and missionaries there uh, on the ground to care for the vulnerable. We certainly want to pray for the children of Costa Rica. Pray that uh, God would work in their hearts. They would know the hope and peace that comes from trusting Him as their uh, Heavenly Father. Uh, We want to pray that God would, uh, for the children that are waiting to be matched with families and even those children that are currently matched with lifeline families that are waiting for the adoption process to occur. We want to lift these children up during this season. And then we want to pray for the families that are adopting from Costa Rica. Uh, We want to pray for post-adoptive families that have already adopted children from there, but also uh, those that are in the process right now waiting. We currently have three families that are in the country right now uh, going through that adoption process. And so we want to lift them up as well. So will you join with me in prayer now as we pray together for the country of Costa Rica? Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for being at work in our lives. We thank you for the fact that you would come and dwell amongst us and ultimately dwell within your followers, your people, your children. And so, Lord, as we come before you today, Lord, we want to lift up specifically the needs of the country of Costa Rica. God, we want to pray for those who are in authority uh, in the government and the authority of that country. We want to pray that they will, uh, Lord, institute laws and make rules and promises processes that will facilitate, Lord, the, uh, the the adoption of children and be able to uh, properly care for and oversee the, the needs of vulnerable children in that country. Lord, we lift up the local churches in Costa Rica and the missionaries that are serving there, and we're grateful for the opportunity to partner together with them through our ministry of unadopted and through uh, other ways of support. We pray that our church partnership teams, Lord, will be able to come around them, come alongside them, and be able to provide resources and tools to help, uh, Lord, the local church and help those missionaries care for vulnerable children and families in that country. God, of course, we pray for the children in the country, Lord, those that uh, are without a family, without a home, God. We pray that they would know you as Father, and ultimately they would come to a personal relationship with you through Jesus Christ. God, we pray that you would strengthen them and encourage them, help them to know that there are people that are praying for them, and that there are folks that are, uh, Lord, working toward helping provide a family for them. And so, God, we pray that during this, this time of waiting, Lord, you would sustain these children, that you would provide for them, that you would meet their needs, that you would care for them, God, as only you can do. And then, Lord, we thank you for the families who have, uh, Lord, stepped up to adopt children in Costa Rica. And we pray that uh, for those families that have already adopted, God, that you would continue to, uh, Lord, strengthen the bond between the parents and the children. 
that you would, uh, Lord, provide support of the local church around these families, Lord, to love them and care for them around these children, uh, that they would love and care for them as well. And then, God, we pray for those families who are in the process, Lord. Sometimes it can be very hard in the waiting and the uh, all the different things that have to be accomplished and done, and it is especially challenging during this time of the, the COVID pandemic. And so, God, we pray that you would strengthen these families, that you would uh, draw them close to yourself, help them to know of your sovereignty and your care for them. Uh, God, those families that are in country now going through the process, we pray that things would go smoothly. And uh, Lord, that they would in a timely manner be able to uh, adopt these children and bring them into uh, their forever family. And so, Lord, again, we thank you for the privilege and honor of of caring for the vulnerable and being your hands and feet, especially there in the country of Costa Rica and, and in other countries around the world where you've allowed Lifeline to serve. Um, we pray, God, that you will just continue to provide and meet needs, give wisdom, help us to see uh, open doors and opportunities that you put before us and give us both the, the resources and the faith, Lord, to be able to walk through those open doors and trust you in every situation. God, thank you that you have a heart for vulnerable children. Thank you for the care that you will continue to provide. And thank you for using us in that uh, in that process and in that journey. We give you all the praise and the glory. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study. Music